Uh, I grew up in a suburb about 45 minutes from here and did a little circuit around New England, I guess. Went to school in Connecticut at the University of Connecticut, then bopped back up to Boston for some research and grad school uh, before finding my way to, to Focus Calm. And uh, so does that make you a, a Pats, Bruins, Red Sox, Celtics fan? By default, I guess um, I was a bit of a nerd okay. growing up, not super sports focused. So uh, enjoy games here and there, but I uh, wouldn't categorize myself as like a diehard sports guy. Okay. Even if you're not a diehard sports guy, you got to have some feeling about Tom Brady, like some feeling. Yeah. You know, um, I love watching him play. I love watching anyone most of the time who's good at what they're what they do right watch them do what they do particularly with tom brady because of the, the affiliation with new england sure um but yeah Did I agree. there's a there's when someone's at their peak performance that's kind of yeah. an exciting thing to watch in general yeah you know you're watching something special uh that's going to be remembered for a long time and you kind of feel a part of part of that excitement now on that point, actually, before I before we jump into sort of the concept of peak performance, did you guys see what happened with that uh, that football that was sold? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so, what happened now after? Yeah. yeah so, well, no, I mean it's it's done. So, Max, I don't know if you saw it, but um, uh, Tom Brady's last touchdown ball was sold two days ago, um, the day before he announced his unretirement, right? For like $550,000. So that ball is literally worth, I mean, it's not worthless, but it's definitely not worth anything at this point. I mean, that's such a horrible. Yeah. So I think that guy, yeah. whoever bought that ball is going to need folks come. Um, Cause he's highly <laughs> stressed out right now, but, but let's go into sort of what you guys, what you guys do. Right. Um, and if I understand it, it, it is sort of EEG, correct? Um, and are yes. you guys looking at slow brainwave activity? So our approach is um, a little different. Okay. If people have some background in EEG, and I'll provide the context, uh, we do things a little differently. So traditionally, or uh, at least from like a basic level, people's understanding of EEG typically comes from an understanding of frequency bands. Those are things like alpha, your alpha band, your beta band. Uh, theta, delta, gamma, these things might sound familiar. And what they are is big chunks of your EEG data that tend to have some correlation with your internal state. So it's typically thought of that higher alpha activity is associated with a relaxed alertness or a calm state. Theta would be, which is a slower frequency band, is a deeper state of relaxation. And we might associate delta activity uh, more likely with state of deep sleep so the the kind of quick um way to think about it is it kind of makes intuitive sense that we would assume our brain is moving slower during deep sleep while we're not dreaming a little bit faster while we're awake but relaxed and even faster when we're really highly engaged or maybe anxious and these uh big chunks of data the frequency bands are really widely used to to associate with these cognitive states and they're often using algorithms to measure these cognitive states. For example, one of the most widely used algorithms is the NASA Engagement Index. And the NASA Engagement Index, as you might guess, measures how engaged you are. Uh, and the way that they calculate it is by looking at the power of the beta frequency band divided by the sum of alpha and theta. So the beta is a bit faster of a frequency band 
divided by these two slower frequency bands. And so the idea is the more beta activity compared to alpha and theta activity, we would assume the person's in a more heightened state, more engaged, and then the vice, vice versa would be true too. So that's kind of the, the traditional way of, of understanding different brain states using these big chunks of data. The NASA engagement index is a great example. They use three features, right? Uh, beta power, alpha power, and theta power. And those algorithms that use three features, they work pretty well. They have a pretty good classification accuracy and they give you a good gist of what's going on. But our algorithm uses over a thousand features per second to calculate your, your focus calm score, your cognitive state. And the big breakthrough is, and this gives you a better felt sense that the algorithm is working and also gives you better classification accuracy so that you're more accurate really measuring what's going on. The big breakthrough was applying machine learning and artificial intelligence to the signal processing. So instead of assuming that alpha should mean this, beta should mean this, and theta should mean this, and applying this kind of top-down, these top-down assumptions on brain activity, the machine learning kind of wipes those assumptions clean and allows the data to tell us what is truly important for measuring these states. So to, to understand it a little bit more, um, what we did was take hundreds of samples of data of people doing different activities, looked at the raw EEG data, and the algorithm basically, after a bunch of iterations, gives us a model that takes into account over a thousand features per second. These are the parts of the signal that matter to classify someone being in a state of high focus calm or low focus calm, which is another way of saying uh, states of relaxation, being at ease, low cognitive workload, low stress versus states of uh, high anxiety, high stress, or even just being really, really active. So as your data is being processed uh, by the headband, the algorithm is looking at a thousand different features that your brain is actually producing, kind of like a heart rate monitor for your mo for your brain, and then quantifying on a scale from zero to 100 how at ease and relaxed your brain looks. So getting, getting back to it real quick, um, like the different waves, right? So beta, alpha, theta, uh, and delta. So it's not necessarily looking at how much, like, as you say, like beta activity someone's in, it's really the ratio. Is that what you're saying? It's really just uh, that these brain waves you can, are, are kind of coexisting and in different degrees and observing the ratio at which they exist in, with, different, with different subjects. You can then make some, uh, some sort of, you can deduce some sort of uh, some patterns as to like what, what would be a, a, a very relaxed state versus a very anxious state. So it's really that it's not that, you know, one person has, he's in, he's in beta mode and he's in delta mode and that kind of thing. It's really just the ratio and the balance of these waves. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it fluctuates throughout the day and it fluctuates person to person. So that's why the ratio stuff tends to work. It's all relative. So it tends so to be relative. So is it similar? And I guess it, I know it's not similar from a from a biological or, or technology standpoint. But we used to look a lot at, at HRV, and, and a lot of times when you're looking at HRV, specifically companies in the marketplace right now, they only look at it on like a, like sort of a are you sympathetic, high or low, right? But they're not necessarily looking at the balance between the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems to understand get a sort of better gauge as far as where you're at within that, right, within those ranges. So if I understand it properly, you guys are balancing, sort of looking at the balance between the two and then using that to assess ultimately where that individual is at right now and what today, where they're at today and ultimately what type of prescriptions they can use to either down-regulate or up-regulate these waves. Is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, just uh, a fine point. Um, there are probably associations between high focus comm scores and more parasympathetic uh, activation and vice versa. We haven't done those studies, um, but I would assume based on people's experiences that a high focus calm state is a is a state of relaxation, though, just just so that, uh, again, the, the fine point that I'm trying to make is we're not measuring uh, HRV or yeah, sure. directly measuring some indice of uh, parasympathetic or sympathetic activation. We're measuring brain activity. And what we can see is uh, high focus calm scores are like one of the analogies we use is uh, imagine looking at a sunrise or a sunset and your breath is kind of taken away and your mind's kind of clear and you're in this in this enjoyable state. That's kind of like what being in a high focus calm state is like. There's not a lot of processing going on. So it's not meditation. You know, we use meditation as a tool to help people get into that state. Um, but we, we use breathing techniques. We use these different brain games. Uh, we challenge people to stay calm even under pressure with the brain games. But the state itself is most accurately described as a state of low cognitive workload. So there's not a lot going on. You're kind of just at ease, at peace. Um, and it's a more functional state. So our position is meditation is great. Actually, my background was in doing fMRI research on impact of meditation. Uh, I meditate every day. I also use Focus Calm every day. But they're not the same thing. Meditation is a tool um, to enter the state. And we provide people all different types of tools so they can figure out what works for them. But the functional component that I'm getting at is we don't believe that um, meditate, getting good at meditation is what people want. I think what people want is to be at ease and flow through life with, with grace and ease and get their job done well, have good interactions with people and feel happy. And so we, we train people to get into these states with their eyes open. So the entire experience in Focus Calm can be done eyes open. And what we're trying to train people to do really is transfer these skills into the rest of their life. So what we'd like to say is relaxing while you're med meditating on your meditation cushion is great. It's a useful skill to build. You're building certain you know, mental muscles. Uh, but what we really want is for people to be able to go into their life, eyes open, interacting with the world with more grace and ease. And so everything we do in Focus Calm is geared towards that transition. So when, you, when you're thinking about, I'm oh, sorry, Ryan, uh, real quick, when you're thinking about, um, how this tool can be used for, let's say, the everyday person at work or wherever. Um, and, and differentiating, I guess, focus from meditation in a sense, you know, because uh, so the way I see it is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're just exercising that mental muscle to decrease the jitter or the background jitter so that you can have clarity and, I guess, focus to to accomplish your task. Because So you're trying to get a a state that's you're very you're very active you're still active you're still accomplishing you're still doing things but perhaps without all that background jitter is that kind of yeah this is this is super interesting so one of the things that you will find when you use focus calm is increased self-awareness because you're getting this mirror of your mind and your brain activity and you can see what happens when you do different things and what that allows you to do is kind of push on some assumptions about yourself and the world and and what matters to get into these states. So for example, I used to think that when I was feeling stressed, I really needed to lean into this sense of letting go and kind of letting my mind diffuse and relax more. Um, 
and when I was when I wanted to focus, I really needed to push on like the focus button in my brain and really kind of pull everything in even tighter. And what I found when using Focus Calm was the opposite was true for me. Mm. When I was stressed and my mind was going a hundred miles an hour, letting go more instigated more of that activity okay. and my focus calm score would go down. And so then I thought, well, what if I go towards focus? And as my mind was kind of going hundred miles an hour, I leaned into focus and then my score would go up because I was pulling everything in. And then the same thing was true for when I wanted to focus, right? I was kind of pushing on the focus button in my brain, but really to your point, if you want to get things done, sometimes when you want to focus, the best thing to do is lean into relaxation so that everything kind of loosens a little. And then you have the capacity to get the thing done. So the, the interesting points are this balance between focus and relaxation and when you need to do what. My assumption was backwards. And that focus calm is a tool not only to train you in these skills, but even just exploring and seeing your score and how it changes in different environments when you try different things gives you some self-awareness about what works for you. So, um, you know, when I was in sports, we used to talk a lot about like, uh, like CNS priming right before sort of competitions, right? So we would do, you know, explosive type activities, right? So if it's jump squats or, you know, low volume sprints, even to a point of playing like Xbox, you know, before a competition, ultimately based off the idea of like sort of priming the central nervous system right, to be able to sort of perform, right? So I guess that's sort of what you're saying, right? It's by using focus comp to sort of dial in at whatever stage sort of you want to be, right? So if you want to be focused and sort of have like sort of that uptick and, if it's whatever it is, autonomic response or something along those lines, I'm on the opposite of into that. If you want to sort of dial it down because you want to relax or something like that, focus calm can sort of engage in that. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And it actually takes it one step further, which is um, in addition to giving you a mirror of where you are um, and using your own tools, you can use the tools in the app to help you get there. And uh, we can, provide you with certain challenging activities mm. to test your ability, for example, to stay calm under pressure. So again, this, this idea of bringing it into the real world, um, the, the Focus Calm project, one of its uh, instigating um, sparks of inspiration was our work we were doing with Formula One race car drivers through our partnership with Formula Medicine. So Formula Medicine is an organization that provides um, medical services to all the drivers and the teams, as well as physical and cognitive training for higher performance. And we've partnered with them a few years ago and started providing uh, a training system with their understanding of what F1 drivers needed and our understanding of neuroscience to train these drivers to stay calm under pressure, which for them means going 200 miles an hour. And the, the, the research that Formula Medicine has been doing for decades now uh, has clued them into this concept of mental efficiency. So using the right level of effort to get the job done without burning yourself out. Yeah. If you are white knuckling while you're driving, you're going to burn through your physical and cognitive resources. So their training is geared towards keeping people in the pocket, keeping people yeah. in that right space. We're using the right level of effort to get the job done. And the way they train that is by presenting these drivers with cognitively demanding tasks, memory tasks, attention tasks, decision-making tasks, reaction speed tasks, while simultaneously requiring them to stay in this kind of focus calm zone, this relaxed, low cognitive workload zone, so they can practice completing difficult things at ease 
And that's something that we also have in our, what we call focus games. You can practice these executive function tasks, but you only get a high score if you can simultaneously remain relaxed. Yeah. And I think that has lots of applications for yeah. people's lives. So in a lot of ways, like you're improving fitness, well, I say fitness sort of generally, right? While reducing the overall cost of performance. Does that sound about yeah. right? Yes, that's right. So you have more left in the tank at the end of the day. Is that is that what you call? Because I know you used the word flow state, and I was going to have is that is that I wanted you to define it, and is that what you just defined the flow state? Is that what you're describing? Yeah, you know there there's a, a whole category of psychological research, and I don't want to step on, um, uh, maybe not step on people's toes, but step on the step on those toes, terms. Max. Step on those toes. <laughs> Uh, I respect the clearly defined terms that are used in, in flow research and psychological research, but I'll talk about it as, as we see it, maybe a more uh, common, commonly used uh, explanation of flow. And it's certainly derived from the great research uh, from Dr. Mahai, who is the, the father of, of flow. Um, so, so the way of understanding it is it's a match between the demands of the environment and your uh, capabilities. So if you look at, if you think about uh, a graph and as demand increases, so the difficulty of the task increases, if your skill or your ability is not also increasing, then you're going to be in this overwhelmed state. So your skill is not catching up with the degree of difficulty. If you're kind of below this curve, you're going to be in the state of overwhelm. If your skill is much higher than the demand of the activity, you're going to be in this more boredom state. So it's really for you based on your skill, the task is too easy. It's not taking a, uh, a lot of effort to complete the task. But if there's, if you're in this kind of central vein where the task is just demanding enough to keep you on the edge of your competence, it's going to require your full immersion in that task in order to complete it well. And when you're in that, that's that flow state. That's where it's like it's fun and the self-conscious awareness of yourself kind of drifts away. You're fully immersed in the moment a lot of people report time dilation where they're they're not even cognizant of time passing because they're so engaged in the activity so that's that's kind of that flow state and what we do is provide people tools and techniques to learn how to upregulate their ability to deal with high pressure situations and also downregulate their stress so they can find that balance um, so it's not just the environment that causes people to enter that flow state it's also your self-regulate self-regulation abilities to make sure you're in that what we might call window of flow where you're not so overwhelmed and you're not so underwhelmed and you can be in that flow state it's interesting you mentioned this and i i don't mean to jump here to this but like what you're describing is i think and brian you can chime in on this too is uh you know we work in um a space that that works in like workplace wellness and sort of management skills and that sort of thing and, you know, sometimes when we have these discussions, we talk about like what would be a great manager uh, of a team. And this kind of I'm almost like seeing a parallel to what you're describing is giving your team tasks that they're not bored, they're not overwhelmed, but they're in that space where they're challenged. And how do you how do you find that space for them? Yeah. Is it something that a manager should be in charge of or is it individually? You know, individually, you yourself are, you know, working on yourself uh, and, and finding that state. Um, see, I think you see where I'm getting with this, Brian? Like it almost sounds- Yeah, like we talk about it a lot. We have, a, we have a product in Leon called Growth Windows, right? And the idea is understanding if your team needs support or can they be challenged, right? But ultimately it's about understanding how open that window is to it, to uh, like achieve or to give stress, 
right? Because we know that if the windows close and you try to give them stress, there's going to be a sort of a fat tail risk at the back end of that, right? Um, and, and to Max's point, ultimately, this is about sort of assessing really readiness to perform via sort of functional state, right? Like, how ready are you to be able to accomplish this task today? And if you do accomplish that task, what is going to be the cost of this task all right, on the back end? Uh, and, and good managers, they have sort of like the frameworks and the heuristics to be able to do that properly, right? They're able to sort of assess and obviously they're just guessing, but they've, they have so much sort of experience in it. They understand when they can push their people a little harder and when they need to be able to back off. But tools like this are so fantastic because one, you're sort of on the employee level, you're giving them a tool that increases. And I hate the term resilience because it's so bastardized, right? But like it's increasing that bandwidth to be able to sort of perform optimally, right? Without burnout, without mental health issues, without any of these other things that sort of drop over time. Um, but yeah, this is this stuff is totally up our alley. And, and Sagar and I geek out on it all the time because ultimately with athletes or employees or whatever it is, we're always trying to assess this, right? We're always trying to understand is like what is gonna have the most bang for its buck, you know, bang for the buck without impacting sort of the the ability of our team to be able to perform long term. And, and to piggyback on that, Brian, I'm gonna, I should pose a question to you, Max. So um, first of all, do you see Focuscom as a, so I, 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 and I was lucky enough to trial it for uh, a couple months and I really like the, really like the device, really like the app, everything. Um, is, do you have any studies out there on using Focuscom in the workplace and, and work, looking at things like stress and, and anxiety and that sort of thing? And on top of that, is there, do you see this as a tool that maybe managers can use to maybe get, get a pulse on how their team is doing based on their score or something like that? You know, obviously with privacy issues, you know, we make sure that everyone's, uh, agreeable for this to share their data, but do you see this as a tool for that? And, and then that was the second question. The first question was, have you done any kind of workplace wellness studies uh, with this, with this yeah. device? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, yes, we have done some workplace wellness studies. And what we found was after five weeks of use, recommended 15 minutes per day, about five days a week. So the protocol was to complete somewhere between 20 and 25 sessions what we saw was pre post statistically significant reduction in anxiety, uh, an average of about 13 points or 13%, um, statistically significant improvement in well being, about 20% on average, and statistically significant reduction in burnout, about 18% on average. And what was interesting was there seems to be some cutoff uh, of around 20 sessions. So you need 20 sessions to learn the scale of self-regulation on average uh, based on the data we collected. And people who get past that threshold saw these benefits. It's almost like um, if you're gonna pick up playing golf and you've never played golf before, it's gonna take a few sessions before you get the hang of it, before you can kind of demonstrate significant improvement. And it's the same thing with this skill. The skill of self-regulation through breathing exercises or meditations or brain games once you kind of build up that skill, then you have it and or at least you, you have enough of it where you can see this see this difference. Um, so, yeah, that was in two different workplace wellness studies that we that we did. And we have a white paper on our, our website for people that want to to read the whole study. Um, and then for the second point, for those studies and the way we've positioned it so far, it's a 
uh, opt-in model. So it's an individual tool that you use by yourself at home or at work, wherever. Uh, learn about yourself, learn these skills. And then there's an optional team portal where if people decide to share their data with either their manager or their team or only their team or both, they can opt into uh, to those different options. And what that does is create um, uh, a portal where people who are on the same team can see each other, how they're growing, what what activities they're doing, their different scores on stuff. So it kind of creates this fun, uh, fun environment. So uh, yeah, uh, our perspective on it is this type of work is um, about you, uh, but you can create some fun dynamics with other people that like that more um, shared nature of work like this. But I think some people lean more towards uh, it being a personal practice. And so we give that option to the user how they want to opt in. Yeah, the, the opt-in is, uh, is cool, though. I'm curious, though, like, how have you seen managers or just leadership in general when employees do opt-in uh, sort of use that data to drive action, right? Like, so if you see someone as a, as a low-focus com or a high-focus com, how does that change the activity for the either the manager, manager or the leader? You know, the, conceptually, um, what this gives the, the whole team and also the manager the ability to do is see how other decisions in the workplace affect people's focus comm scores. Um, and there's not necessarily always going to be like a one-to-one correlation. Like as soon as you give people two weeks of vacation time more than they had last year, that all of a sudden their focus comm scores are going to go up. But it does give you the window into some of this data that otherwise you wouldn't have uh, as it relates to people's focus comm score. And I think things that we know are good for us would drive change. So, for example, sleep will totally impact your, your brain state. Uh, we haven't done any studies on, on sleep and focus comm score, but I'm confident, you know, what, or I know for sure what we would assume would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like exercise, things like, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today. The things that we know are good for us are good for us most of the time. So with something like focus calm, it does give the manager the ability to see how the practices they're implementing are affecting people's brain state and their stress levels. Yeah, I, um, we talk a lot about <clears throat> sort of like micro interactions, right? Like how does having data like you guys change those micro interactions for the manager and how they interact with their people, right? Like if you see that someone has a low focus comp score, do you send that Slack message at 1 a.m., right? Do you manage a little harder or a little less in your one-on-one? Do you maybe dictate how you upskill your people? Right. Or is this the proper time to like, you know, like cross train them in in another role? Or is this the proper time to increase goals or decrease goals? Right. And I love that idea of a manager having that insight of of windows to understand what they can do and can't do to their people right now to make sure they're sort of protecting their well-being and happiness. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I think think that, that sounds like an ecosystem that sounds like an ecosystem rather than just a machine, you know, and I think, uh, you know, we use those terms quite a bit. We'd rather have a, a working environment that's an ecosystem that's in balance versus just a cog in the wheel in a machine, which leads to burnout in many ways. I think that last point that you just made, Brian, is really important, which is the mission is to create more energy in your, in your workers, in your team, and to understand when they can be pushed, when maybe they're under more stress than normal because of some sort of deadlines and what type of resources you want to be giving them uh, to support them, right? We always have to keep this in mind. Otherwise, you know, we don't, um, this is obvious to you guys because this is the work that you're in, but it bears repeating. We're not using these technologies to 
uh, ring out every last ounce of effort no. in, in, in people. We're using them to provide them tools to increase their well-being and so that people have more energy so they can do work. They can, um, you know, uh, have that sustainable, sustainable path of, of development. And, you know, listen, things are hard in companies, right? That's part of maybe the fun for some people, the challenge. Uh, but what you guys said earlier is something that we also believe, which is you need to balance the challenge with the support. And, you know, Focuscom is one way to provide that support and also give you insight into kind of what's going on so that you can make better data informed decisions. Yeah. And, and also to the, the whole subjectiveness of all of this, right? Like, so, you know, we, we have, we have a tendency to think that the way that we manage our people, cause we manage in teams, they're, they're all this sort of, they're all the same, right? Like we, we hire based off like culture fit, whatever it is. And we all, and, but the way that people adapt to stress or perceive stress or perceive recovery or perceive whatever, it's completely different for every one of us, right? So like something like this gives a manager insight to say, okay, for Steve or Sagar, I need to be able to reduce, right? I, this is when I have to be able to support. For Jenny and Jan, this is when I have to challenge. But this is the type of stuff that managers have been trying to do forever, for, for probably, you know, for as long as we've been managing people, we've always wanted to know the best way to get the most out of our people without turning them over, right? But something like this does this. And, it, and I love it because I think, you know, there's this notion that this stuff is just for athletes, you know, or this stuff is just for like, you know, the weekend warrior, you know, who wants to do um, the quantified self, right? And it's not at all. Like, this is something like, you know, we're the heroes in this because we are protecting people um, at the same time, helping companies grow faster. Right? And that's, that's such a fantastic mission. And I think to your point also, Brian, like, right. Cause a lot of people think, is this just for that high performance yeah. individual that's going to be, but you'd be surprised. I mean, I know uh, we're not really talking about meditation here. We're talking about something else, but uh, it'd be surprised at how much oh, exercising these, these different mental muscles, either through focus or through meditation or anything else, how it actually plays a role in the rest of your life too, actually, and how it can actually improve. You know, just like, as you said, you're a, a daily meditator. I, I also try to meditate as frequently as I can. Um, and I'm, I'm always um, at awe at the benefits that I, that I realize like months later, you know, it's not even like, it's not gonna happen on day one or day two. And then I don't even know what the benefit's gonna feel like. But then at some point I realized, oh my God, yeah, actually I'm, I'm handling things better. And it's funny that when I, your, your, your mental exercises can't stop there because once you stop and you think you have it and then life will throw something else at you and you realize, oh, I'm, I'm nothing. <laughs> I need to really work on this, um, which is why something like this, um, what I saw this, this, this instrument, uh, like the Focuscom headband and everything, is for a lot of people that don't know how to get into this type of a state or even start a practice on, or start an exercise on, on mental, uh, mental uh, you know, strength, um, this is like an easy way to, to get into it, I think. Um, yeah. And it's like, yep. it's it just gonna, you, you're, you're along for the ride in a sense with, with this app. You, you have uh, one magical moment at the very beginning of using Focuscom, which is when you realize that you do have control over what's going on in here very directly. And within a few seconds, um, if you've built up some skill, you can switch the state that you're in. 
So when you're seeing your score and you try different things and you realize, oh, I can change this. That's one of the first aha moments. I think a lot of people don't totally understand the amount of agency that they have over their internal state. And one thing that we're waking people up to is that they do. And that these practices, whatever they are, you know, we have breathing content from uh, coaches that work with professional athletes. We have sports psychology content. We have meditation content from really experienced meditation teachers. Uh, we have different brain games. Really, the you know, our purpose isn't to say meditation is the panacea, is the solution. It's no, there are so many ways to get into the state. And like some people like cardio, some people like weightlifting, some people only want to exercise by playing volleyball or whatever it is. You have to respect those differences. That's actually a great part about being human is the diversity. And so Focuscom is a platform for you to explore these different techniques, see which one works for you, and be that entry point to understanding, first, yes, I have control over my brain state. Two, training works, and I can see the improvement over time. And three, I'm going to discover things about myself in terms of what works for me. Yeah, that was that was a great point. But listen, I, I think that is a, a good way to sort of finish up this this interview because I think you just summed it up perfectly right there. Um, but Max, where can people find out more about Focuscom and what you guys do? www.focuscom.com. Yeah. All right, fantastic. And um, obviously you guys will be in the Leon Marketplace. So anybody for our users or our managers or whatever else, um, definitely check them out there. And uh, listen, guys, thank you so much. Sagar, hope you feel better. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Sagar. Cheers, guys. Great interview, guys.